Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to another episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. Ben and Brian here. We've got another awesome episode for you. Today, we're going to be talking fishing. Surprise, surprise, Ben and Brian talking fishing. But we're going to be getting a little more specific, and we're talking about pond fishing today. So, of course, we're going to talk about pond fishing, Ben. We need to find a pond. What the heck is a pond? Well, that's kind of confusing, honestly. Yeah? You can't just Google it and say, what's a pond in it? Tell you exactly. Um I want you to fill in a little more here of what I leave out, but um, a pond is going to be freshwater. You know, we also found out that here in Missouri, we have more ponds than almost any other state. I mean, we're, I think we were number one for small body impoundments, they called it. Yeah. Yeah. But when, when you look at why do we have ponds, usually it's for livestock out here farming. And so the types of ponds that we would have, we'd have dugout ponds. Um, some of the areas where you have to collect that water, they may uh, add in a dam, which mm-hmm. so they may dig out and then add a dam to, to keep that water in. Um, and then we also have those low-lying areas that maybe there's a natural spring. We have a lot of springs here in the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a spring-fed pond that's that's backed up uh, either naturally or they've dug it. Right. Um, but kind of continue on because when we talk about what is a pond, I know we're getting into maybe even the depth and, yeah. and the size. Well, too. you can uh, the, a third type of pond you'll see is where there's a small, really small stream, and they'll build a dam and let that stream fill up uh, a little valley or natural area that's already there and cut out. Those are more rare, but you will see some of those. They're usually really, really clear, crystal clear, along with those spring-fed ponds as well. But with a pond, you're thinking small mm-hmm. body of water, so quarter acre, eighth acre, up to five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Some maybe even twenty. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're talking. That's you're kind of getting into lake when when you're when you're getting into that. But uh, a real way to differentiate that is what's called the photic zone. If a pond is shallow enough to reach the allow the sunlight to reach the floor or the the bottom of the pond through the water, then that's going to be a pond. If it is deep and the sunlight cannot reach the bottom, then we're going to really start getting in calling that a lake. And a lake is going to have different zones. Um, anytime the sunlight can reach the the floor of the I keep calling it the floor the bottom uh, the bottom of the water then you're going to have plants and algae and things that can grow there so you have ecosystem present. A lake is going to have zones where there's no sunlight and you can't have plants and algae and things growing that that need to photosynthesize. So if it's too deep for the sunlight to reach down to the bottom, let's call it a lake. Yeah, we may even have some of those here in Missouri. There's some really large ponds that technically that would fall into a, a lake category. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and I mean... I know of people, um, even close to here where we live, that have just a couple, two, three acre pond, but it's 25, 30 feet deep, and the sunlight's not getting down to the to the bottom there. So you could, I guess, call that a lake because it's not shallow. So small in size, shallow in depth is a pond. Good, good. Um, so obviously, if we're going to fish it, it has to have fish in it, right? It does. <laughs> Not all ponds do. Like you said, you mentioned cattle. Some people are using them for cattle. It is very hard to have a pond that is being used regularly by cattle, livestock, and have it stocked well enough to fish because 
cattle are going to get in there. They're going to defecate in the water. They're going to uh, pee in the water, urinate in the water. So you're going to have high ammonia levels. The pH is going to be completely thrown off, and no nutrients are going to be available for an ecosystem to occur. No food chain is going to be able to happen for fish to be healthy there. Do you know, is there an impact when cattle are actually in the water? You know, they're actually uh, stepping in, we'll call it the muddy bottom. Most of oh. it's muddy bottom. Well, yeah, I mean, besides, they're just, they're going to stir it up. Yeah. Um, they're going to kill the vegetation right. that exactly. would be in there, all of that. So you can't have a healthy food chain. Now, there are cool farming tactics and ways to have a pond that livestock can use for water um, and also have it available for fishing. You really don't want your livestock standing in the water anyway. Um, it's it's a great way for them to cool off and get a drink, but you it's super hot and you drive by and you see 10 cattle and they're just all the way submerged in a pond. You start getting foot rot and, and things like that and you really don't want your cattle spending a whole bunch of time in the water. My favorite tactic to um, utilize a pond for both livestock and fishing, you fence it off to where they can't get to it, but you give them just a little fenced off inlet where they can walk into about their knee height, but you rock, you line that with rocks, big like softball, baseball sized rocks. So they'll walk on it, they can walk on it to get a drink and get the water that they need, but they're not gonna spend a whole bunch of time there because it's uncomfortable to them. So mm, it's available, but they're not gonna hang out there very long. And most ponds that I've seen that have cattle on them, I mean, they're nasty. Gross. They'll, they'll get the algae just completely covered green. Yeah. Ammonia bubbles. It's, yeah, and if there was fish in there, I'm probably not going to go try. <laughs> no, no. Um, so obviously, ideally, you could have access to a pond that doesn't have livestock in it at all. And thankfully, we do have some of those. But let's say somebody listening has a pond or they're, they know somebody who has a pond. Like a they, subdivision that has the, the big pond. with That's really popular now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, at least it is around here. A lot of these new subdivisions that are going up are built around... Um, a big pond or lake and they put fountains and all that up there which I think is really cool it's kind of a cool um, incentive to to move there it makes it beautiful scenery and adds recreation to that neighborhood right I think it's really cool definitely let's say you live in a neighborhood or you have access to a pond and you're wanting to to turn it into a a fishery kind of how do you do that where do you think somebody should start what's what fish would you even put in there can you put anything well, that's what that would be my question of, of what does that water look like? So, when we've built ponds in the past, uh, families built ponds, they're always muddy, just this yeah. muddy, and it takes a, like a really long time for that to settle and calm down. Um, but some of the best ponds growing up were they were actually in the woods, very large, uh, probably weren't supposed to be on some of these ponds, <laughs> but they they had some amazing fish in them. But that water was beautiful, mm-hmm. and and that's when I found out they were spring fed ponds. It was right amazing to fish at yeah it really was um but if you're going to stock a pond what what kind of fish what what would you put in there what species of fish ones that come to mind right off the bat are bass because i love bass right. largemouth bass that would be my number one that's mm-hmm. what i want to go fish yeah, for. Lar- largemouth bass do very very well in ponds right yep. and then two bluegill of course the bass gotta have something to eat right exactly um i like to take my kiddos to the pond so so many, so many great fisher men and women have started out catching bluegill out of ponds. Mm-hmm. That's where so many, so many um, 
journeys begin as, as people who like to fish. For you know, sure. we, we also, um, you and I like to catfish. So mm-hmm. like a channel cat, I know that we, um, we actually did a, a trot line yeah. myth that, that's coming out and we ran a, a trot line on that and caught some channel cats. So top three, looking at bass, bluegill, some channel cat. Um, I've seen in ponds, I've seen people put carp. Yeah, so the, the carp is kind of a an interesting one because uh, the carp are really used to control vegetation. People are going to put grass carp in there. So that's not something you're going to catch. It's really to uh, control that vegetation. Now, a really healthy fishery will have a little bit of aquatic vegetation. And so you're going to put some grass carp in there to control that. The catch is with them, they're really good at their job. And eventually, those small grass carp are going to consume all of the vegetation. And then there's not going to be anything else for them to eat. And the little bit that is growing, they're going to be trying to stir up on the bottom. And they're actually going to be huge, 20, 30 pounds, stirring up these big mud balls in your pond. And what stinks is they're really hard to get out of the pond. Because mm. they're not going to bite, bait, and tackle. So you can't get them out of there. You have to catch them, shoot them. I mean, it it's kind of a problem. So you kind of have to go at adding grass carp with caution do it don't add 20 add two um and 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 let them kind of slowly do their job rather than add a whole bunch and let them just completely take over so that would probably be my top four um i have what about crappie that that's exactly what i was going to say i've i've been at some ponds and fish and i have have caught crappie out of them yeah but i've never thought about stalking them or or even being in a in a pond until I caught one before. Crappie is another one um, that should be gone at with uh, with concern or warning. Crappie are awesome to catch and they're awesome to eat, but when they're in a pond, you have to heavily manage them. And how you manage them is by removing the bigger adults as you catch them and eating them, which is okay because crappie is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, little fried tater, fried crappie action. So good. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> but anyway... They, if you don't harvest these adult crappie, they they reproduce so fast. You will have a whole bunch of little tiny crappie, and your crappie compete directly with the food of your largemouth bass. So now you're damaging your largemouth bass population. Um, crappie can be eaten by largemouth bass, but if you let crappie get out of control, they will, and they're over, they will overtake your whole pond. So crappie is another one that if you're not willing to manage heavily and really keep track of that, that that's one you should steer away from. And I'm guessing by managing, you're talking about truly taking care of, maybe not every day, but very often. You're not just putting them in and walking away from the right. pond. You're not going to that pond twice a year and taking 10 crappie out of it. That's not management. I mean, once a week, a couple times a month, you're, you're having some meal and harvesting crappie so that they're not completely just overrunning the pond. And with ponds, I want to ask you this. Um, I've seen many different types. So we talked about the subdivision pond that had the fountain. You know, they're they're manicured, easy to walk up to. Then you get to the flip side where I've been to some ponds that that the vegetation's so tall you can't even you can't cast, you can't even get to the bank from right. cattails to probably fescue. I don't even know what it is. Super tall yeah. grasses, um, but some of them will be really muddy. Some are again that that real clear clean looking somewhat i mean it's a pond so we have stagnant water it's it's there's no water moving in or out mm-hmm. it's it's staying there um but with all that different vegetation um does that 
create different habitats for than it the does. Fish. So the vegetation present and the actually the soil type that the pond is built out of takes a huge factor into the type of fish and how much of those fish you put in there. So you and I fished a pond the other day and, and it was very muddy. We caught some bass out of it. Right. But you had told me they had, had thrown some cedars in. You know, we, we call it brush around right mm-hmm. here. So you had brush piles. But, um, you know, what kind of impact does that have too? Well, a, a huge part of it is... Uh, so when you're when you are building a pond into a fishery, you're what you're really building. What you need to think of is uh, a food chain. You have to build a sustainable food chain because every pond has what's called a carrying capacity or K factor in the biology world. There's only so much food. There's only so much habitat or housing for these fish in every pond. So many nutrients. So if you're getting above that then the fish that you have aren't going to be healthy. They're not going to live. If you're staying below that, then these fish may reproduce too rapidly. And now, again, now you don't have enough resources. So there's really this balance. Um, There's some general guidelines that you can follow. If you have um, a one-acre pond that's in a good, healthy, nutrient-rich soil, a general rule of thumb is going to be 100 bass, 500 bluegill, and 100 channel catfish per surface acre of water. Now, when I'm talking 100 bass, I'm not talking 103 pounders that you go and catch at the lake. We're talking fingerlings, which is meaning like they're a few inches big. It's really important to get enough fish at one time going and catching fish and from another body of water well, I'm glad and you bring stocking them. It's, you, not, it's that... not an effective way to build a healthy So if I go chain. fishing on a, on a lake and I catch a keeper, mm-hmm. and I bring it back to my pond. Mm-mm, leave it at the lake you caught it at. Or It's or not against it. the law. Or, or eat it. <laughs> or eat it, yeah. It's yeah. not It's not against the law, but but what you're doing, um, let's let's say you've you've stocked your pond, you, you've done the ratio of 500 bluegill, you've put 500 bluegill in there, and you bring home two largemouth bass from the lake that are three pounds, you've just put them in, they have so much space, so much habitat, and an abundance of food. Now they reproduce so rapidly that there's really quickly you have a whole bunch of bass well what are a whole bunch of bass going to do to all those bluegill they're going to wipe it out well now they've wiped that out so now you have a whole bunch of skinny little bass that you have to cull out 90 percent of them to get back to healthy i have been in a few ponds where that's all we caught you catch them and the fish I mean, is just head there's hardly anybody I mean, it's there. fun because we caught a lot of fish but they were tiny skinny right looked yeah and it's kind of that counterintuitive thought that you can understock upon you know you you can overstock it but you can also understock it so you really do have to take into consideration um that food chain that you're building so real quick let me lay out just kind of that that pond food chain so you're putting your bluegill in there you can stock some fathead minnows too they reproduce really fastly really fastly really quickly and that's really good food for those bluegill but bluegill are going to eat everything from from little tiny zooplankton that you can't even see, the little bugs going on the water to other small fish. Um, you've got uh, the plants and aquatic things that are giving food to your plankton and your small fish. You've got the bluegill that are eating those. Then when you put your bass in, they're eating the bluegill. And then you can put your catfish in as well. And they're going to eat some of the bluegill. The catfish don't reproduce very well. So every two or three years, however many catfish you put in, you're going to have to put those in again I'm, I'm putting you on the spot the heron yes you know um great blue heron the great blue heron you know that 
I think at one point here where we live, they weren't doing well. I believe they're doing fantastic now. Correct. I say that because you Federal, see them federally protected, and they right. The, yeah, we've you done see a really them good on job. Like of, every pond, every mm-hmm. lake, they're everywhere. Um, do they create a big impact for fishing a pond? So people overreact to them mm-hmm. because they spend a lot of time. They spent a lot of money. Um, some people that have ponds, those fish almost become like their pets. Like they'll literally know, like, hey. Big Bertha, five-pounder bass, she lives over in this brush pile all the time. Well, when they see that corner of the pond and they see that great blue heron over there, they're like, you better not get Big Bertha, right? right? Yeah. So is it going to – I mean, a, a great blue heron is not going to sit there and eat 30 fish out of that corner. They're going to take their few and they're going to go off. And mo- most of the time they're going to end up getting something out of the shallow water because they don't have to work too hard for it. So it's not going to be very big. It's going to be one of those prey species of fish. Or a bluegill, or a excuse me, a bullfrog, or something like that. Right. A reptile or a turtle, even that's living there. So, so then what? What might be impacting the pond? So, um, you know, you think you've got a lot of fish. You're fishing. Um, maybe you're not catching very many, or maybe you actually see a lot of dead fish. You have this. Yeah. So there's something called turnover that happens um, in some of your deeper ponds. Uh, what can actually happen is the uh, the bottom. The water that's on the bottom, when it gets really hot in the summer, and the water that's on the top, they literally turn over and they exchange. What happens if you, is you have no dissolved oxygen in the water, and you'll literally just see all of the fish in your pond floating. How you prevent that is to add aerators. You can add aerators that are on compressors. They run off electric if you have electric access. And it's literally going to take the water and keep the water moving so that it never turns over. So you kind of have this constant flow of the water from the top to the bottom. Mm. Um, and, and that's very effective. It'll help keep your water more clear. It adds way more oxygen. And it helps fishing, too, because uh, those wa- those fish, when the water gets warm, will congregate all around those bubbles from those aerators. So you kind of know where to go so fish. So where to cast. Out. Well, let's get yeah. into that. Like when, when we're fishing, you know, knowing where to cast and, and kind of breaking down a pond. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what species of fish do you mainly go to fish for in a pond? So it depends. Am I by myself or with you? Because I'm going. I got to catch that big bass. mouth bass. No, it's I gotta, only the competition. I got to get the bucket mouth for Always. sure. Yeah. Um, Let's you say know, you and your son. What, what's what are you going to? So say? if if me and my son are going, uh, we're going to try to catch uh, bluegill first. They're easy to catch. That's why so many people start start there. They're easy to catch. Um, again, the stocking rate for for a one acre is 600 of them. So there's going to be a bunch of them in there. A lot of times you can see them. Um, you can use light tackle. So well, things that are easy to, to use. I want you to talk about this and, and really help people understand. Are you make me give a secret away? Uh, yeah, this secret needs to be shared. Um, you know, just because there's 600 bluegill and you, you go to Walmart and you buy the, the bluegill kit. Yeah. Um, that bait still may be too big for, You're right. for those fish in that pond. So they- you actually rigged your son up um on his rod and reel and and i had never seen this before i don't know if anyone out in the entire world has ever done this but it is an awesome technique and i want you to tell everyone listening in ecclesiastes it says there's nothing new under the sun so i'm not going to take credit for this because i'm sure somebody has done it however uh you and i are both fly fishing guides Mm -hmm. and so we were having a really hard time getting baits and hooks small enough for these bluegill for it to go in their tiny little mouths i mean it's not even as big around as your pinky finger they have really small mouths and so 
they would come up and just bite the tail off or not get the hook or just not bite it at all because it was too big. Even the, like you said, even the baits that are labeled as bluegill baits. So I had this idea. I'm like, what is small? And I'm like, oh my gosh, we fish. Some of the flies that we use for trout are dang near microscopic. They're so tiny. So I was like, you know what? Bluegill love to eat insects and bugs. How about a little a nymph? Uh, the one I've been using the most that's worked the best is it's called a copper john. So I was like, I'll tie a copper john on to my son's ultralight rod with six pound test. And I did that and it was great. We we're kind of dipping it in, catching them. But what you lose, you don't have any weight to cast, right? Right. So then I started putting a bobber a foot or so up above it. And now you've got weight from that bobber to cast. So a little tiny copper john nymph literally fly fishing a trout bait and then a bobber up above it and it's just so easy and awesome for the kids with the visual of the bobber right. and these bluegill are annihilating this tiny little hook i mean catch a hundred if right. you want to right. like it's well, you know, so much fun your night crawler you mm-hmm. know a lot of people's gonna grab a, a tub of night crawlers and and you a end up hook just putting split one shot on after and, the other yeah, after and the and other throw it out and it's gone so so there's three, three things that i loved about you rigging that for him. One is that it is small, so your success rate is going to go up. Mm-hmm. And but then with that, you talked about the weight. It was too light to cast it. It can't pull the line out of that spinning rod, so it's too light. So you used a bigger bobber, right? That created the weight. So now adding on a bobber, now your son at the time I was three, maybe even doing this at two years old, but they, yeah, he could actually better. see that bobber move, which it's awesome, right? Yeah. That's teaching them, hey, that you're getting a bite, lift up or jerk. And then the third is that now you don't have to mess with all of that bait. You know, right. you, you have your one lure, it's it's set, it's clean, you're not switching out a bunch of worms. Um, it just seems really productive and efficient. I, I love it. Yeah, I, I've kind of a little tactic that just kind of been put together here. And again, maybe not again, I don't even know if I've said it, but we are blessed where we live Um our neighbors on both sides of us both have ponds and, and they welcome us to come fish and we're so thankful for that. So there are days, um, or I should say there are weeks where we fish the pond every single day. Um, and that's really been awesome for my for my son and for me, for bonding, for our relationship, but just for him to get out um, and learn to fish and learn about animals and the outdoors and right. get muddy and throw rocks. And it's just a, it's just such a cool place to go spend time. Yeah. Just Basically a big bowl of water, but there's so much to offer there, and, and, I, and I love that. So moving from bluegill, yep. let's get into our favorite, the bass. bass. How yeah. are we catching bass? What types of bait are we using? Um, even Maybe even kind of break down a pond. Maybe how do you, when you attack a new pond, when you're looking at a new pond, where do you start? Where do you? How do you begin? So my favorite thing about bass fishing a pond is if you have a bait or a tactic that you're not comfortable with, or maybe you just love it. But if you're going to go to Table Rock or go out to the big water or the big river, it may not be quite be the bait for the season. You can generally get away with a little more in a pond. So me, again, I love fishing a hollow body frog. Mm-hmm. So I start, I can catch fro- uh, fish on a hollow body frog earlier in the season and later in the season on a pond than I can anywhere else. So I love that. I also love, um, for instance, jerk baits. I'm re- really trying to get better at fishing, uh, suspending jerk baits this year. I love being able to go to a pond and, and practice with those, see how they work, 
see the things that I'm doing that a fish, because you can really learn how a fish is reacting. And, and ponds are, the fish are usually a little more responsive. We'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. They're not wore out. Right. Yeah. But typically when I walk up to a pond, I'm going to look at the water color. You're always taking the season into effect, but then I'm going to look at cover. Like some people build all kinds of crazy artificial cover to put in their ponds. Some people, um, some ponds just naturally have all kinds of vegetation or trees that are falling down. I'm going to go to cover first and I'm going to start fishing around or in, in that cover. Um, some ponds will have no cover and then I'm just going to get some, a moving bait and start going up and down a bank with a crankbait or a swim bait or something, just trying to cover some water and see if I can find where some fish are hanging out. Yeah. And that tells me quickly too, whenever I'm fishing a pond, let's say a moving bait, let's use a crankbait for example. Some ponds that I've been in, um, first cast, it starts to dig down and all of a sudden it feels funny and I'm like, oh no. And when I pull it up, I have a sludge ball yeah. covered over that. And so now I've got to change my tactic when in baits. And, and so when you think about your baits, you're going to have your top water or your middle. So you have moving baits like your... Uh, a swim bait. A swim bait. Right. Yep. And then you have your baits that we're fishing right on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so I, I start on the bottom, you know, whether you're using a crankbait, hitting the bottom or moving into a Texas rig, anything. Yeah, or a jig, or yeah. A jig. Something you're dragging. Right. So I always start at the bottom, and then kind of work my way through that, depending on how nasty it is. And, and I say nasty because there's a lot of ponds that are nasty but have fish in them. I'm, I'm going to attack it. I want right. to try to catch it. And when they're super filled with, uh, you know, algae, mm-hmm. but any of the, we're going to call it the green. The duckweed. The duckweed, the... Oh, lily pads. Lily pads. Yeah. There you go. I couldn't think of the word. You know, like lily pads. Then, I, then I, I'm probably not even going to work the bottom. I'm going to move right into that top water, that yeah. frog, um, to work through that to see if I can get a bite. So. And I didn't read his mind right there on lily pads, folks. Yeah, he, I'm he making was, the shape. He was shaping with his hands the lily pads. So lily. I know you couldn't see that, but he was giving me some signals there. It wasn't coming to me. but We um, got there. We got there. Um, but yeah, breaking that leg down, you even talked about the fountain, you know, fountains, yes. uh, aeration. You know, anywhere that I see those things, that's kind of my, which mm-hmm. is a structure. It is a type of structure when you're looking at, but um, it is difficult for me to go to a pond that has nothing. And I'm like, where do I start? It is. And so I'm just going to start fan casting. You know, I'm going to pick a point, cast it, and keep moving over a foot and just kind of work all the way to my right or maybe all the way to yeah. my left and, and try to figure out where am I getting my If mind. I were to walk up to a pond and it had, well, like you're saying, nothing, so no vegetation. Nothing that you can see. There might be something under the water. There could be something under the water, but no vegetation, no cover on the banks, no docks, no fountains. I'm going to start looking at the shape of the bank. So if there's a place that's cut out or there's little natural points or things, generally that it's going to kind of follow that topography as you go underneath the water. I'm going to start trying to fish some geographical features rather than actual targets. Um, let's say it's just a, a perfectly round pond with nothing in it that you can see, then yeah, I'm just covering some water. Right. Yeah. So fishing is obviously awesome at a pond. <clears throat> it's one of the main activities people think about when you think about going to a pond. There's a lot more you can do at a pond than just fish. What are some other things that you can do with you and your family? Well, I think it depends on the rules of the pond. What 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 are our rules on the pond? And and so let's. I do want to get into that because some people, depending on where you live, talk about you have to have a fishing license or not. Mm. So, you know, the activities that you can do on a pond really come with the rules first. Um, do you know what are, what are some rules for a pond um, regarding to your state? Well, there's different seasons like. Um, one thing we love to use ponds for is, is frog gigging. 
and <clears throat> there's a season on those amphibians and so you don't want to gig those outside of season but as far as fish there you own the fish in the pond or whoever owns the property so there's no size limit there's no uh quantity you can you can keep as many as you want as long as it's okay with if you're the owner or whoever own whoever's so letting fish way, the pond there are two types you have there are public ponds people can go to correct on on publicly owned land like state lands or federal lands there are ponds that you can go fish there's also pay lakes people that own ponds and you pay to go fish them as well and then you have your your private so a private. landowner it's a private land they have a pond on it's it it's a farmer that maybe it's your family maybe your friends letting you come out you know family friend whatever mm-hmm. that might be so with rules on that it sounds like then if you have a pond on your private land the fish that are in it are yours correct you can you don't have to have a fishing license but that's in it, it depends on state that's most states, right? Most states. Most states. Like, um, I think here in Missouri, that's that's the rule. If it's privately owned, it has to be completely inside the private property. So even if part of it's sticking out, well, now now we're in a different story. Anytime that your pond's going to touch any kind of other waterway. Correct. If it's touching a creek or a river rolling by and you're pulling water off of it and fish could come in or leave, now, you even if it's completely on private... Now you have to have a fishing license. Right, right. That's kind of a caveat to that, an exemption. Also, every state's a little different. I said most states, if it's private, you can fish it without a license. But like Arkansas, you have to have a license unless it's a pay lake. You don't have to, because you're paying to fish there, you don't have to have a fishing license there. Delaware is, is kind of an interesting one because they're going to start talking about your land now. They're only going to give it a that exemption of a private lake without a license if the land that it's on is more than 20 acres wow kind of weird how states start throwing in all these rules but so moral of the story is wherever you live educate yourself educate yourself and know before you go so if you need a fishing license then then buy it get it right um so you have to have a license then to fish on on some ponds um but when you're looking at you talked about the amphibians then so if if you're going to do other activities on the pond um you still have to follow your state and local local laws correct and that is another activity that i love to do on the pond you you brought it up you talked about bullfrog green Mm -hmm. frog um you can gig for those so there is a season um where we live that season is going to run from um it starts june 30th and runs to halloween so october 31st yeah um and i love to eat bullfrogs oh it's it's a great activity for for a summer night Yes. To go out with, take kids out or go out with friends, spend some time outdoors when it's not so hot, and, and bring some really good table fare back yeah, home. Absolutely. But we could leave gigging to the side because we're talking about fishing the ponds. You can actually fish for bullfrogs. What? It is so much fun. I just remember as a kid, even even uh, just the other day, I took my son because it wasn't season yet. Right. Um, but I wanted, uh, I wanted to play. And so it's pretty took- fun to put put your hand on one of those big bullfrogs and and just they kind of just chill there once you grab them in the right spot and you can really check them out and feel the skin see the eyes and they're pretty cool creatures you can catch and release a frog just like you can a fish anytime and that's what's that's what we're doing here and that's it's so fun to fish for them so yeah Uh, tell me how you do it how do you fish for a bullfrog so we were describing you know your your pan fish style bait right uh, bluegill bait something that's small but i cut the hook off so i usually i'm fishing something with a lead head on it right you know, it's got some weight on the end that you tie your your line to but i'm going to cut my hook off and so as you're working your bait through which if a bass hits it while you're doing this 
it better hold on because you're not going to catch it. Yeah. But as you bring it from the water onto land where that frog's sitting, majority of the time your frogs that you're finding are going to be out on the bank, right on the edge of that bank, ready to, if some kind of predator comes by, it's it's ready to jump into, into the water. But right. If you see them out floating in the water, you're not going to get them to bite anything. They're yes. going to have to be where their Correct. feet are on in very shallow water where they can jump because they have to have that jumping motion to strike it prey. Yeah, no, and that's exactly what they do here. Right. And so you bring that that little tiny bait up to the water's edge, and I just sit there and wiggle it. And you'll watch this. This this frog will it will catch its attention, and it begins to look. If it's a little far out, it may yeah. even move a little bit and kind of hop to it. Do you, you make keep... like grasshopper calls or anything? I wish I knew some. <laughs> <laughs> you got a grasshopper call? grasshopper, I promise. <laughs> Um, but I just keep just twitching that thing and it will come over and I mean, it pounds on it like it. So how do you get it in without the hook? Well, that's the trick. A lot of times because when it wraps its tongue around that bait and it, and it brings it into its mouth, I will let it set for maybe a second. They usually don't spit it out. It's not like a, they, they think it's an insect. And, and so as it's wrapped around that tongue, I will slowly begin to reel. And as I reel, my, I'm bringing in my line, so all my slack's gone, and right before it gets that tension on his mouth, I will lift up, and as I lift up, he hangs on. That's crazy. And a lot of times, he'll let go right at your feet. That's fun for the kids. We grab, you Try know, we'll grab chase him, grab him, get a hold of him, and then let him go when we're done checking him out. Yeah, that's a really cool, that's a, be a really cool thing to try for sure. I'm sure the kids absolutely get a kick out of it. Um, though that's just a few things. There's a lot of other things I can think of to do at a pond. What do you do in the winter in the pond? So I love to play ice hockey. So when it does get cold enough, um, you got to be very careful of this um, and don't let kids go out unsupervised on on ice covered ponds. So but, when you did this, the time of year you did this, we were hitting how many degrees outside? It was um, last crazy. time I did it was negative twenty. Right. It was negative twenty. It was just really really thick. Um, and yeah, we played out there for hours. Which what's really cool is when it's that cold when when you're out there hustling playing hockey, uh, you get you even get sweaty. You get warm pretty quick. So really fun feeling uh, to be out skating on the pond that you fished in for the for the last nine months. So. But that is kind of rare where we live. It, is. it isn't something you, you can do every year because the ice does not get thick enough to ever st- uh, step not, out on. Not often. You know, in the last, I would say in the last eight years, I've probably been able to do that three times out right. of the eight years because right. um, it has to be that cold for several days in a row. But if we have listeners up north uh, in, in the northern United States, you know, that that's a common thing. I mean, people play ice hockey every winter they can't wait for these big lakes to freeze over um, you see videos of people skating miles and miles on frozen water um, a little jealous of that i think that'd be re- really fun to do because we get really excited here um, when it does freeze over enough to go to Talking go skate about on. freezing brings up a question i have mm-hmm. um, what are the fish doing what what's happening to that that fish as that water begins to freeze up and so fish can actually reduce um, their body processes. Um, it's as a state called uh, torpor. They can reduce their metabolic rate and their and so their body doesn't really need a whole lot. So they're just chilling. Chilling. No like, pun intended. Physically. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, dad joke. Oh, that's good. Bad man. dad joke. That's good. Uh, another just simple things that people often overlook is is to just explore. You know. Mm-hmm. My son loves to fish, but there's there's times when we go to the pond where he just ends up flipping rocks and seeing what's under him, or looking at even the grass and different things are around. Um, he loves to throw the fish back when people catch it. So just being around the pond, being around what's going on there, um, he loves to take the fish after you catch them and just analyze them and explore. And well, wow, look, he's got spikes on it right here. But even just getting them 
comfortable enough to touch a fish and, and, and throw it back is really cool. But uh, rock throwing and, and not even skipping, literally just picking up rocks. So here's a throwing. tip. Kids will do it for fish hours. First, fish first. Once you're done fishing, yeah. now we can get into rock throwing. Yeah, it, it's kind of like uh, throwing rocks before you fish or throwing rocks where you fish is kind of like eating the yellow snow. Don't so do don't it. Don't pee in the snow don't before do you. <laughs> don't, don't eat yellow snow. That's, that's don't throw tip. the rocks where you're fishing. They don't. It doesn't work too well at all. Yeah, we always save that for the end. But yeah, teaching them to skip or literally just throwing rocks. Sometimes my son will ask, "Dad, can we go to the pond to throw rocks?" That seems really boring, but sure, let's go. <laughs> you right. know, and and he loves it. Absolutely yeah. loves it. So awesome. there, the potential at a pond is unlimited. A lot of people swim in ponds. You can swim it, swim in them as well. Jump off the docks. Some people put rope swings if they've got a big tree there. Uh, paddle boats. You can learn to kayak and canoe and, and start putting boats out on your pond. If it's big enough, you can put a boat with a motor out there. Yeah. Uh, paddle boarding. I actually had to work on my uh, my trailer for my bass boat. Yeah. And I was able to, to back in and, and leave my boat there so I could go fix my trailer. Yeah. Up. So that, that was a great. Now, it, it took quite a bit of water. It can't just be a, a shallow pond, so... Be careful doing that, but um, um, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of things that you can do on a pond on a pond, um, and that's kind of what I want to ask you, dude. Growing up, what are some of your experiences? What are some things growing up that um, you remember that that you still just are with you today? Those memories that are still with you today that you've done out at a pond. Well, you know, for me, I'm I'm gonna go a little bit more current. I'm just gonna go back um, a couple years, so. Um, my son is, he's, he's almost four. By the time this comes out, he'll, he'll be four. Um, you know, he, when we first moved here, he was about one and a half and we started going, uh, to these ponds here where we live close. Um, and his favorite thing to do then was to feed the fish, to throw fish food in and watch the fish come up and go piranha bonanza crazy. And I mean, just giddy. He'd literally sit there in the mud and just throw a handful of fish food after fish food. And, you know, these these uh, memory apps are, you know, Facebook will throw you three years ago today mm-hmm. when you have kids. Those those kind of get me in the in the feels a little bit. And so one I had taken one of the of the sun setting over the hill and him sitting there throwing fish in the pond. And I think I had a caption on there of like, I think he'd sleep here if I let him. And so just looking back at that felt like yesterday. Um, but how much time we spent at the pond since then and, and um, how that's nurtured he, he and I's relationship. Um, he says we're, we're best friends and best fishing buddies, um, and that's because of a pond, uh, yeah. A, a, yeah. literally a dang huge mud puddle. And uh, it, it makes me emotional just to think about that. It's right. really special, and I hope uh, ponds create some more memories for, for he and I and for my youngest when he's old enough to start going to. Absolutely. That's what about good. you? You got some good pond memories? Yeah, the one that sticks out the most uh, would have been teenage year. Well, even it was before I was a teenager. Yeah. It was my sister and I, preteen, preteen. Um, I was trying to think of age, and I just it isn't coming to me. But I just remember my sister, uh, myself, and my dog, my favorite dog, and my sister. It was just her and I. Um, we lived in an area where there, there weren't any other kids, so we played a lot together. Outside a lot together, fought Poor a lot Lauren. together. Poor Lauren. Uh-huh. I'm yep. so sorry. She's the best. I love her to death. <laughs> um, but I remember there was a time that she wanted to go frog gigging with me. 
So it was in season. Yeah. We wanted to go. I wanted to go gigging, and she was gonna go. So I had my big long gig, and I also take a burlap bag. That's what I put my frogs in after after we gig them. And my dog went with us as well. And this dog was a mutt. It wasn't trained, but it was just an amazing dog. It it went wherever we went. It it did whatever we we were doing. And so kind of uh, like kind of like you, just a mutt, not yeah. trained, but man, you're amazing. That's right. You got it. <laughs> But I, I remember this night, it's it's just, it was awesome. We, I, I say we, I'm the one that got to gig the frogs, and my sister was the one that had to carry them, you mm-hmm. see. So that's why she, she got you to put her to off. work. But um, when you're gigging frogs, you have to hold a light um, in order to, to see them, also placing on their eyes, and that helps to, to kind of keep them calm there for you to try to sneak up on, but it's still tough. Right. So we were doing well. I was doing well, gigging a lot of frogs, just throwing them in that burlap bag. My sister's holding that bag. And I remember we made it about halfway around the pond. And all of a sudden, my dog starts going crazy, just running everywhere, which is out of character for my dog. And so I grab the light from my sister, start shining it, and there are bullfrogs scattered <laughs> everywhere on this bank. Okay? Well, I'm like, well, it didn't rain in frogs, so what's right. happening here? Well, do you think you hit the jackpot, maybe? <laughs> I just, it was just, it was weird. But we've realized that, and I'm not going to blame it on my sister, I'm not going to blame her. But there was a hole in that bag. Uh-huh. Now, let me tell you, it was a new bag. So if you drag a burlap sack, probably going to get a hole. But right. not blaming it on my sister, but there was a hole in that bag, and those frogs were escaping. Yeah, she's probably listening and rolling her <laughs> eyes right now. Well, she's she helped. She helped. We tried to collect them back, you know, trying to catch them as they're jumping. But I remember my dog actually was chasing after them, grabbing them, and bringing them back to me. Oh, not wow. trained. Yeah. Cool. I think we only saved, like, two. Yeah. I think he's the one that they got, a, got two of them back. But, um, but yeah, that just lives on today. It was, it was just, it was a fun night. Got to spend time with my sister. Um, but that story was just crazy. We lost all of our frogs that we had. And that shows you like when, when you're gigging, we use the, the fish style gig. So it actually um, grabs them from the side and it rarely punctures any holes. Right. Um, you know, if you're using an actual frog gig, they, it's looks like a, I'm going to call it a trident for people. It's got a spear and you stab them and it, and it, Kills can them. kill them, mm-hmm. but the the grabber side when you grab them from the side, it holds on to them really well, and it really doesn't do any damage. So yeah. I like that kind all, too. Yeah. yeah, all those frogs, they were fine with. <laughs> they were there for me for the next day when I got to go again. So good. Yeah, well, I appreciate you, appreciate you sharing that with us, guys. I hope that um, our memories of ponds and 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 how it affects us and our lives. I hope that's inspiring to you. I hope that we've shared enough with you that um, if you want to go start doing some pond fishing. You you now know how. You don't have to have expensive tackle. You can buy the cheapest rod and reel, the cheapest line, and some of the cheapest bait and go enjoy some time at the pond. Um, if you've got a neighbor that has a pond, don't be afraid to ask. The worst they can say is no. Look up your public land where you are because a lot of them do have ponds you can go fish. Um, maybe you're blessed enough to have pond on your property. I would encourage you to share that with others, invite others to go enjoy that. I do want to tell you guys, we do have a Patreon account now, so if you love what we're doing, um, if you want to help support us, mm-hmm. please follow our link tree and our bio on our Instagram, our Facebook, our TikTok. You can find our Patreon account through that. Um, right now, we have $5 and $10 options to help support the podcast um, just to go towards uh, things like software and microphones and, and our, our hosting uh, fees. So we would greatly appreciate your support. Um, that's it for this episode of the Minty Bee Outdoors podcast. Between now and next time, we hope you find a pond. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.